How do you know? Prove it. It's the bane of geometry students everywhere. In geometry class, it's not enough to have the right answer. You have to have the right way to get to the answer as well. You have to show your work. You have to know why the answers are right. They say it's to make you think critically, to process through the problem, to teach you how to think. How do you know? Prove it. That's a question you don't just hear in math class, however. We hear it all around us as well. Whether you're on the playground, whether you're at work, you hear it with your friends and your family even. Anytime you make a statement that raises an eyebrow, someone's going to say, well, how do you know? Where do you go? Where is your proof? How do you show people about what you know? Where is your assurance? John wrote the book of 1 John for two reasons. The first reason is to shit. The first reason is to address false teaching that was going around. There was this idea going around at the time of John's writing this that you're saved not by Jesus, but you're saved by achieving some special knowledge. And so there became two classes of Christians, the Christians who thought they were saved by Jesus and the Christians who were saved by the special knowledge. John's writing to refute that heresy. But the second reason he writes this book of 1 John is to assure believers that they are saved so that they could know for certain that they are saved. This letter is still good for us today. As we look around us, there's still false teaching that pops up. The same idea of a special knowledge or a special experience is what makes you saved, rather than Jesus and Jesus alone. And there are still people today who doubt whether or not they're saved. Let me just ask you this question. If you were to die right now, how certain are you that you would go to heaven? On a scale of 1 to 100, how certain are you that right now, if God called you home from this earth, you would be in heaven? Many of us might have different answers from one another. When I was a kid, I could never say I was 100% certain, and that bothered me. And so every time that there was an altar call, I would go forward. Every time there was an invite to invite Jesus into your life, I did it over and over again. And no matter how many times I asked Jesus into my life, I still couldn't say I was 100% certain that if I died today, I'd be in heaven. I'd think to myself, I mean, can you really know for sure? Isn't that a little arrogant to say that I know for certain that I'll be in heaven? How do you know? How can you know? Let's see what God has to say about it through this letter that John writes. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Reading in Jesus' name. We will know by this that we are of the truth, and will assure our hearts before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. 
We pray that you would sanctify us in your truth here this morning. Open our hearts to receive this message. Lord, open our eyes to see you this morning as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The first verse in our text points out the fact that you can know for certain. Verse 19, we will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him. John is writing here to tell his audience that they can know without a doubt that they are of the truth. That they can know without a doubt that they are saved. That they can know without a doubt that they are in a right relationship with God. That you can know for sure. He's about to share some truths of Scripture that will help assure you of your own salvation as well. That will help you to assure your own heart that you are saved. So wherever you're at today, if your answer to the question is 50%, maybe 55%, maybe 80%, 93%, or 99.999999%, my prayer is at the end of this message, your heart would be made sure before God. And we could each leave here 100% sure. So how do you know? How can you know for certain that you are saved? There's a couple of places that we're pointed to to see that we're saved. There's a couple of places we're pointed to for our own assurance. The first one, our hearts. By our hearts. Have you ever been told to follow your heart? Or have you ever said, I can do this because it's okay, my heart says it's okay to do this different thing, whatever it is. What does your heart tell you? Does your heart ever condemn you at all? Verses 21 and 22, John writes these words, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And it's true. When our hearts don't condemn us, when they're not constantly rubbing our sin in our faces, it's a blessing for us, and we can be sure that we are saved when things are going well for us. It's easy for us to know that I'm saved. When you see God answering prayers the way you want him to answer them, when you're away at Bible camp, or when you're experiencing this mountaintop experience in your faith walk, you feel God's presence, and somehow he feels more real to you, almost like he's right there. When you invite Jesus into your life and you open the door to let him in, you know that you're saved. When you commit your life to following God, you can know for sure that you are heaven-bound as well. And your heart doesn't condemn you in these moments. But when we put our, insur our assurance in these things, we remember these dates, we remember these experiences. But what happens when they're gone? What happens when our hearts condemn us? How long does that assurance last? How long does that mountaintop feeling sustain you? How long do you feel God's presence with you? How long can you keep that commitment that you made to God? Sooner or later, you're going to find out that these experiences aren't enough to keep you from sin. And when you do fall into that sin, when your commitment falters, what does your heart tell you then? Does it still let you off the hook and say, you're mostly a good person? What happens when you realize that your heart still wants to sin? That there's this desire in you to do something that you know you shouldn't do and you fight amongst yourself and you realize, my heart still wants to do this. Maybe your heart has told you some of these lines. You can't be a Christian. Look at yourself. 
Look at what you want to do. Look at the temptations you struggle with. How can you call yourself a Christian? Or maybe your heart tells you, well, you haven't quite reached that born-again believer status yet. You might be a Christian, but you're not a born-again full believer yet. Or maybe your heart tells you, perhaps you're holding back part of your life away from God, and your heart condemns you. Where do you go when your heart condemns you? Back to the mountaintop? Back to your commitment? How long will it last this time before you need to do it again and again and again? Do these things give us that 100% assurance? Or do they leave us wanting? Whenever your heart con- doesn't, when your heart doesn't condemn you, it truly is a blessing. But we can't put our assurance in our hearts because it doesn't last. And also because sometimes our hearts don't condemn us when they really should condemn us. And we convince ourselves it's okay, it's fine, and go on and do it anyways. There's no assurance in following our hearts or in listening to them. There's no assurance in following your conscience because deep down there will always be something bothering your conscience. So we can't find assurance in our hearts. It's never going to be 100%. And it'll leave you being 99.9% sure. So it has to be found in a different place. So how do you know that you're saved? Another common place to look for proof is to your actions. Look back at your life. Going back to verse 22, we read these words. We keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And here is another ray of hope. When we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing to God, makes us feel better about ourselves. We say, yes, I'm following God. I'm obeying him. I'm being faithful to him. And we can find assurance in those things for a time. When we obey God, we can be sure that it's pleasing to him. Throughout the scripture, over and over, God says that he desires obedience rather than sacrifice. God doesn't need our sacrifices. He doesn't need them. But he desires our obedience. In verse 23, John summarizes God's command into one simple sentence, simple for all of us to remember and to do, right? Verse 23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. When we believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and when we love one another, it does please him. We have proof in Scripture that it's pleasing to God. And you can each probably point back to a time in your life where you have done this, where you believed in God wholeheartedly. You can also point back to another time when you've loved your neighbor as yourself and you've self-sacrificially loved somebody else. And praise God for that. And may we always be obedient to his commands. The start of the next verse, verse 24, says this, The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. John points out a key factor here, this idea of abiding in Christ, abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. And it seems that John is saying here, if we keep his commandments, he'll abide in us as though it's something that we might be able to earn, as though our assurance is wrapped up in our own ability to keep the law. But is that a place where you can find 100% assurance? This all offers little assurance. We'll never know them enough. We'll never keep God's commands enough. We try to keep them, we study them, we learn them, we attempt to live them out. But we'll never do them enough. 
We'll never obey enough. And I would venture to guess that each one of us here today, myself included, breaks these commandments more so than we follow through with them. We can never keep them enough. When we break God's commandments, it brings a question. Does that mean he stops abiding with us? If the proof of his abiding with us is the fact that we keep his commandments, when we stop keeping his commandments, does that mean he's no longer with us? Does it become then a competition of your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds? Pointing to our actions doesn't comfort a stricken conscience. Here's an example. There's a young man who attended a crusade of sorts. And as a preacher was talking, he was convicted of his sin. And there was an altar call that was given at the end of the service for anyone who wanted to come down and talk about it, for anyone who wanted to commit their life to Christ. And so he went forward. And he was able to talk with this preacher afterward. And the preacher mentioned the need to give your life to Christ, the need to be baptized, the need to get involved in a local church and a Bible study. He looked at the preacher and he said, but I've done all those things. I go to church. I've been baptized. I'm involved in a Bible study. So the preacher asked him this question. Where's the proof? Does your life show that you have a changed life now? Does your life show that those things actually took? Do his actions testify that he was, in fact, saved? And as the lad looked back at his actions, he found this truth staring him in the face. He was still a sinner. His actions told him he was still a sinner and he still struggled with sin. So the preacher then encouraged him to rededicate his life to Christ and to turn from his sin. And I don't know this kid, but I sure feel for him. Here he was wondering how he could know for sure that he was saved. And rather than pointing him to Jesus Christ, this preacher points him back to his works, points him back to his sin and says, that's proof that you're not saved, that you weren't truly saved before. Preacher points him back to his sin and tells him his actions tell him and testify that he wasn't truly saved. Now, before I get confused here, yes, God does call us to obedience. Yes, we should commit our lives to Him each and every day. Yes, God calls us to turn from our sin and repent. And yes, God calls us to live holy lives according to his word. These things are true and we ought to do these things. God calls us to love him above all things and our neighbor as ourself. But assurance isn't found in these things. Assurance isn't found by looking back to our actions because if we're honest with ourselves, we too find that yes, we still are sinners. There are moments, there are days, maybe weeks, possibly months, where we doubt about who God is. We doubt God's work in our lives. There are times when we realize I've fallen short again of following him and obeying him and loving one another. So assurance can't be found by looking into our hearts. Assurance can't be found by looking into our own actions, but assurance can in fact be found. And the book of 1 John is here to testify to that fact. But it's not found by looking at ourselves though. It's found by looking to Jesus. It's found by God's word. How do we know for sure that we're saved? And the answer is God's word. 
when our hearts don't condemn us, when we see ourselves acting in obedience to Christ, it ought to encourage us. And it shows us that God is truly, in fact, working in our lives, and that gives us confidence, but it doesn't give us assurance. Assurance is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Look back to verses 19 and 20 in the text. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. The last line of verse 20 is the point of all of this. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. That when our hearts condemn us of our own sin, God doesn't condemn us. God doesn't condemn us because he knows what we so often forget, what we so often put out of sight and out of mind. He knows what John had written earlier in this letter from 1 John 2, 1 and 2. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. The Father never forgets what his Son, Jesus, has accomplished for you. And so he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This isn't found by looking into our hearts. This isn't found by going back and seeing I've sinned, I've messed up again and again. It's found by bringing these failures to Christ, leaving him at the foot of the cross and seeing again Christ was crucified for me. And it's this truth that we are sure our hearts with. By this we will know that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him and whatever our heart condemns us. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. God knows that Jesus died for my sin. God knows that I'm not judged by my righteousness anymore, but I'm judged by Christ and his righteousness, which he has given me. God knows that Jesus fulfilled the law in my place, that he took my place. So when my heart condemns me, these are the truths I call to mind. These are the truths that we ought to all call to mind, that I am forgiven not because of what I've done, but in spite of what I've done that the Lord's loving kindness is here for generation and generation. It's everlasting. Remember the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remind yourself of this verse when your heart condemns you. This is where assurance is found. Not in whether or not you feel conflicted over your sin, not by following your heart, but in trusting what God's word declares to you, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And the last verse of this chapter gives us more assurance yet. Verse 24 says this, The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. He isn't saying here that in order to be sure of our standing with Christ, we better keep the commandments. That's not what he's pointing to. But he's saying that we keep his commandments because of what Christ has done in us. We keep his commandments because Christ abides in us. And he explains how he abides in us. The very last section of that verse. By the Spirit whom he has given. We know that Christ abides in us because the Holy Spirit abides in us. Which then asks the question, how do you know that the Holy Spirit abides in you? How do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? 
Is it something that you feel in your life? Is it some gift that he has given you that you can speak a different language that you couldn't speak before? How do we know that we have the Holy Spirit? And I would encourage you to look back to Peter's words in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, verse 33, Peter says this to a bunch of people who are wondering, what must they do to be saved? Peter says, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that we have the Holy Spirit? Because the God's word promises he comes to us in baptism. It's through the water and the word in baptism that the Holy Spirit comes into us and into our lives. And the Holy Spirit is the one who calls, enlightens, sanctifies, and preserves us in the faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who awakens in our hearts a deep sense of sin and invites us to receive the grace of God in Christ and reminds us again that yes, we are sinners, but reminds us of what Jesus has done for you to forgive you of your sin. The Spirit is the one who testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. We may not feel his presence. We may not see his work. But he reminds us again and again of our sin and reminds us of the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. He reminds us that Jesus died and rose again for us. He reminds us that the righteousness that we live in isn't our own that we earn, but it's Christ that was given to us freely. He reminds us that we are saved and forgiven. Even when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Who brings accusation to us? Who will now indict me? By grace, I am an heir of heaven. And praise God for that. So whenever you wonder this question, am I saved? Whenever you ask yourself, this question, can I know for certain that if I died today, I'd be in heaven? Don't listen to your heart for assurance, but listen to the Spirit who came to dwell in you through baptism. Don't look to your actions for assurance either, but let the Holy Spirit show you again Christ's actions for you and trust God's word. So when someone says, so how do you know that you're saved? The best answer that you can give is simply the Bible tells me so. And in this, we have assurance. And in this, we have confidence. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you that you are faithful to your covenant, that you are faithful and your loving kindness endures for a thousandth generation. Lord, your loving kindness endures today as well. We thank you, God, that your word declares that we are saved by grace through faith, and this work is not of ourselves, but it's of you. We praise you for that. Thank you for creating faith in our hearts. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who testifies with our spirit that we are saved. Father, when our hearts convict us of sin, when we look back to our lives, to our actions, and we see that we disobey you far more than we obey you, help us, Lord, to see what you have done for us on the cross. Help us to remember that you are our advocate and you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Help us, Lord, to confess that before you and to commit our lives to you daily, Lord, to walk in your truth, to live by your spirit and not by our flesh. We thank you for your word that declares to us these promises and help us to live in light of these truths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.